You know him very well. His name is Leo Girard. President Girard is international president of the United Steelworkers Union, the USW, and vice president of the AFL-CIO. It's more than a pleasure to have Leo back on the show. He's been very busy, and we need to talk about something that's obviously, when you look at the polls, left or right, resonating with the voters. Uh, Leo, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Good to have you back. I've missed you, buddy. Welcome, and good afternoon. Hi, good to be back. Um, Leo, we are seeing, whether it's Donald Trump on the right or Bernie Sanders on the left, that the blue-collar worker, the middle class, the backbone of this nation, speaking out and saying, look, we care about trade. On the right, Donald Trump's pretty much the only one addressing it. And although both Senator Sanders and Secretary Clinton are addressing it, Senator Sanders brings up TPP, he brings up NAFTA. So right now, would you agree that trade is perhaps one of, if not the most important issue uh, to the American voters because they know with bad trade deals, there's more sucking of more American jobs going overseas in areas uh, like steel, aluminum, tires, glass, and paper. Uh, These are American manufacturing and American jobs that are particular to the United Steelworkers, which you're president of. Yeah, look at... uh I think that uh, the political class, or at least part of the political class, and part of the non-political class, are catching up with the public. I've just got in front of me a piece of paper that uh, had done to figure out how many trade cases we had done between March 2015 and March 2016. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. We did 19 cases in one year. And this is craziness. And and what we've got is we've got ineffective trade laws. We've got trade deals that are, as uh, was said way back in the 90s, sucking jobs out of the country. And, and when I talk about ineffective trade laws, I'll use tires as an example, light truck and bus tires. We filed a case in 2012. The president, there was a 421, it's just a section of the trade law, needs the president's approval. We did that. The president approved the case against China. They got a three-year remedy, which is called a declining tariff. And uh, at the declining tariff, within six months of the the remedy expiring, the Chinese put 50.6 million tires into our market. You don't build 50.6 million tires in two weeks. And so guess what we're doing now? We're filing another trade case against China for the same darn thing. And in the meantime, we've lost thousands of jobs. We're doing that in steel. We're doing that in paper. We're doing that in aluminum. And our trade laws are ineffective. In order to win a case, you've got to prove you've lost jobs. So we'll keep winning cases and we'll pre- keep losing workers. So that uh, Trump and Bernie and uh, Secretary Clinton, they've all tagged into this, whether it's in Ohio, whether it's in Pennsylvania, whether it's anywhere in the country. Every state has lost jobs from these rotten trade deals and ineffective trade laws. And those three people are the three that are garnering uh, the most uh, backing and the most votes in our nation today. You take Kasich, who's from Ohio. Kasich supported these trade deals. So, And, you know, the thing is, he wants to take credit for the boom in Ohio. The boom in Ohio was there because the president at the time, President Obama, in his first term, helped save the automobile industry. Ohio's an automobile state. Yes. It both assembles automobiles, but it's got a big auto parts uh, component to it. If President Obama hadn't done that, and if Ohio hadn't struck oil, uh, 
they'd be in the ditch like everyone else. So the president and, and Secretary Clinton should get some credit for that. I agree. And John Kasich actually should give credit where credit is due. His father, his grandfather, he comes from a long line of union workers. Without unions and without strong union workers, he wouldn't be where he is today or who and, and, he is and he, today. And he tried to bust the unions. You remember he right. had, had a case just like uh, they did in, in Wisconsin, except we beat him back. Do you think it's fair to say that these unfair trade imports have decimated not only American jobs, but American industries like manufacturing, first off. And second of all, is China the only culprit? Because there are other nations that seem to be uh, really, uh, and not just uh, you know just one or two, there's a handful of nations that are much like China when it comes to trade with the United States and this unfair deficit. There's a number of countries that are what I would call Tier 1 and Tier 2. The Tier, the tier 1 countries are China... Korea, Mexico, and Japan. Japan more so, but the, by manipulating its currency. As an example, an automobile from the same employer, from the same company, assembled in Japan, gets close to a six to seven thousand dollar cost advantage against that same automobile assembled in America because of the way the Japanese manipulate their currency. If you look at Korea, prior to the Korea trade deal. We had basically a balanced trade agenda with Korea. Now we're running about 50 to $60 billion a year trade deficit. You take Mexico, the Mexican government, both this one and the previous one, have decided that Mexico has to be a low-wage economy to bring in as many manufacturing jobs as they can to Mexico. And right now it's cheaper to manufacture in Mexico than it is in China. So the, the reason they go to China is they want to believe that they can get into the Chinese market but what happens is China steals their intellectual property, steals their patents, and then invites them to leave or basically marginalize them with state-owned enterprises. So but, uh, those, those are what I would call the Tier 1 culprits. Then there's others, Indonesia, uh, uh, India, a, a, number of, uh, a number of South Asian countries, Brazil. Uh, they're, they're what I would call Tier 2 companies with the... Uh, They'll tag on a trade deal with uh, with China or India or, or somebody else. So that people understand the lingo, if you will, in uh, let's talk about some of what you know. People know about currency manipulation and what that means with China. Talk to us about illegal subsidies. What what are well, illegal subsidies that so people understand? And this is something that China is notorious for doing, right? Well, the, the, yeah, there's all kinds of illegal subsidies. The currency, if I come back to currency, what they do with currency is they devalue their currency, undervalue their currency, which makes their exports cheaper to come into America and our imports into there more expensive. So they do, they'll do that. Uh, they'll, they'll give, for example, that, that they were doing auto parts. They were giving a uh, 10% rebate on any auto parts that were shipped to North America. So if you shipped $100 worth of auto parts, you got a $10 uh, rebate. But on the top of that, you had currency manipulation, you had low-cost energy, you had low-cost interest loans, you had free land, you had all the things that we're never allowed to do in America. Now, what they do in America is in in these state-by-state trade battles where they're trying to steal jobs from one state to the other. What they'll do is give tax breaks for training, tax breaks for land, uh, which, which, again, as long as you're doing that within the country, 
it's not a violation. You can do whatever you want within your own country. It's when you export it. So the Chinese do that, but they don't do it to give it one or one region or another an advantage. They do it so they can export to us under value. And you have state-owned enterprises that the business doesn't have to operate like a business. It operates like a state-owned enterprise. So as an example, uh, we can make steel at roughly one to one to you know point nine man hours per ton. We're the most efficient steel industry in the world. Yet in China, they got plants that take 20 man hours per ton to make a ton of steel. So on paper, they should never be able to meet the, the, the sort of market at that, that level. But the reality is, because they're not interested in making a profit, they're interested in people keeping people employed, they just ignore that and just keep people working. And so they'll sell the steel into our market lower than the cost of their own production. We're so there's take- a whole range of, of you know tricks and traps they use to to, to uh, drive us out of their market and then penetrate our market on just as an example again I keep rumbling through but as an example the st- steel demand in America in 2015 was up 16% that means 16% more steel was consumed in America than than production yes gonna- we never got any of that upsick all that went to China India Guatemala excuse me not Guatemala uh, Japan, Korea, Mexico. Right now, we got a company called Teneris that shut down its uh, U.S. and Canadian operations and is now shipping from Argentina. Well, they shut down their U.S. operations in steel and in, in pipe and tube, and yet they're going to import from uh, from uh, Argentina, where their headquarters is. Why are they doing that? Because they know by the time we file a trade case against them, they'll have unloaded their market into our market and kept our people unemployed kept our people unemployed while keeping their people employed. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with President Leo Gerard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. We're talking trade, we're talking bad trade deals, and we're talking enemies with regard to trade, if you will, um, of the United States. He mentioned some. There are some EU countries, Brazil, China. We have a deficit in this country, an import-export deficit. You know, why don't we as consumers do more? And the voters are speaking out about this. We're tired of jobs being lost to other countries. We're tired of seeing the greatest and strongest backbone of this nation manufacturing. And and areas where we were dominant worldwide, steel, glass, tires, you know, we're, we're tired of, you know, looking down at the numbers that were much higher that should be back again in 2016. There's no excuse. And this is why Donald Trump on the right is doing so well and also why both Hillary Clinton and Senator Bernie Sanders do well on the left. Americans care about trade. You care about trade. Pick up the phone to join us. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. And give us your take. Perhaps this is your numero uno, number one issue as a voter. You're not alone. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Back to you and your calls. Tweets, follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall. Follow Leo at USW Blogger right after this. United Steelworkers, excuse me, president, international president of the USW, the, the United Steelworkers, also vice president of the AFL-CIO. Uh, Leo, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Let's take some calls and uh, listen to some of those voters' voices. Jim's in New Mexico online, too. Uh, Jim, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I understand you had something you wanted to share as a consumer. Yes, Leslie. Thank you for having me on your show, and thank you for talking about this subject. 
Uh, first off, let me say I'm very proud to say I'm going to be voting for Hillary. So I am a Democrat. I do support union issues. But when I go to a tire store and the Chinese tire is $80 for one tire and the American tire is $250, explain to me why I spend $1,000 for a set of tires versus just under $400. Because, see, for me, uh, as a disabled veteran living on a fixed income, I have to make an economic decision. I would love to support your union issues and stuff, but perhaps you can open up the profit margin to explain to us why maybe you should nationalize the industry so that I don't have to skip meals in order to put tires on my vehicle. Sir. Uh, 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 Leo? Sure. Well, look, at part of the reason that uh, those Chinese tires are uh, 80 bucks is, first of all, the quality is not the same. You'll end up getting two sets of those tires for one set of American-made tires. That we've proven. In fact, uh, I uh, I might want to remind about probably about uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, uh, there was a series of tires that uh, were uh, exploding, and we had a series of deaths. And when that research was done, we found that those weren't American-made tires. And then secondly, on top of that, these are tires that the Chinese government subsidizes. These are not tires that are made to be in competition with our tires. These are tires that are being made so the Chinese workers will have jobs, and we won't. And the fact of the matter is, while one consumer may be pleased to pay 80 bucks for an inferior tire, the fact is that thousands of workers are losing their jobs because of that, and those tires are being deliberately undervalued by subsidies, by low energy costs, by uh, shipping subsidies, by export subsidies, and being sold in our market at below the cost of production in China. So that's a price that American consumers have got to decide. We're not prepared to live that way. And, and part of why this, this individual is uh, concerned about how far his dollar will go is workers' pensions, workers' benefits, workers' wages have been under attack now for the same, by the same gang that's promoting these rotten trade deals, and workers are having a, uh, a flat or declining standard of living for the last 20 years. So all of these pieces come together, and if, if they were playing by sort of the, the rules of production, the rules of business, and workers were getting their share of productivity, not only would the tires be less expensive, but we'd be able to afford to buy them. So there's not one thing that solves the problem, but many things that need to be done and that's why the union is fighting. We, as I said, we filed almost 20 cases in one year to protect American jobs. Leo, I want to ask, we had talked about uh, before our caller and before the break, uh, subsidies, illegal subsidies, obviously, they're illegal. Um, talk to us about dumped products. This is something China does, and this is also uh, illegal, an illegal practice under trade law, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's subsidized and dumped? Uh, subsidized means, uh, first of all, that they're they're bringing unfair subsidies into the the production process. Some of them talked about low cost energy, uh, cheap money, free land, uh, all kinds of quote subsidies, including export subsidies, cash on the barrel for every dollar you have export you have. And on top of that, you have once that's done, they flood the market, they dump that subsidized stuff into the market, so it's both subsidized and dumped. And uh, the point that I made earlier about uh, putting uh, 5.8 million tires into the market in six months after our remedy, uh, 
that those are dump tires. You can't make that kind of, you can't make 5 million tires if you figure four tires per car plus a, a donut, as they call it, but leave it at four tires per car. Uh, 5 million tires, that's over 12 million cars, four tires per car. Uh, so that depresses our market. That makes it so that our employers can't, if they sell at that price to compete, they can't earn the cost of capital. When they can't earn the cost of capital, they can't invest and renew in their plants. When they can't invest and renew in their plants, they start losing market share. They lose market share in the uh, the Chinese importers or the uh, uh, Japanese importers or the Korean importers. They take that piece of the market and they get in there like a cancer. But once you've got them in, it's hard to get them out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of many great pieces that Leo Girard has written. And this one's entitled, When a Coin Drops in Asia, Jobs Disappear in Detroit. We'll talk about that. We saw what happened with voters in Michigan. We'll be back with President Girard right after this. Leo, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Before I ask you some questions and specifically talk about these great pieces, well, the first of which I want to talk about when a coin drops in Asia, jobs disappear in Detroit. Uh, let's take some more calls. Uh, Paul is in Taos on line three, listening to us on our affiliate there, KTRC Radio. Paul, uh, good afternoon. I understand you have a question for President Gerard. Yes, I do. And I want to thank you for having him on. Um, President Gerard, I appreciate your voice. I, I listen to you on all other stations where you appear. Um, uh, just a quick statement and then a direct question. Um, I think this, our, our trade policies are basically uh, akin to cancer, and the heart of that cancer is Wall Street. So my pointed question to you, sincerely, is do you think Hillary is, 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 can be trusted with all the Wall Street cash she's been soaked with to do the right thing well, um, come, if, if she's the nominee. I'll, and again, I'll, I'll do what most Bernie supporters say. I will vote for her if she's the nominee. But frankly, I think she'll tinker and not um, object to the TPP. Let, let, let me say this. that uh, First of all, the Seaworkers haven't endorsed anyone in the Democratic um, campaign. Part of the reason we haven't endorsed anyone either one of them would be better than any Republican, and we don't want to endorse uh, and then have to have our people, if we've endorsed one and the other one wins, have to have our people sort of regroup and uh, get mobilized in a different way. So we're going to get ready to endorse whichever Democrat wins. And so the, the one thing I do want to agree with you on, though, is totally, is that uh, these trade deals are also a function of Wall Street. These, these trade deals are designed not just to put our jobs in competition with the developing countries, but to be used as leverage against us, not just in trade unions, but where there's no union, to be used as leverage to keep workers' wages down. And I couldn't begin to tell you how many times we've been at the bargaining table with employers who say, look, we'd love to do this, this, and this, but we can't because we have to compete with China, Korea, Mexico, whatever. You want, you want the most blatant example of all, it's uh, what happened with United Technology slash carrier heating and air conditioning. They announced they brought all those workers into a, a big warehouse and announced from the podium that they were moving their jobs to Mexico. And they basically said something like this. It's nothing personal. It's a business decision. 
and we can pay a Mexican worker the equivalent of $6 an hour wages and benefits, and in your case, we got to pay you $25 an hour wages and benefits or more. And, and so they just simply take those jobs, and that company's been profitable for, for years and years and years, take those jobs and move them across the border at, at a low-wage rate. And, and the fact of the matter, as soon as they did that, the shares of United Technologies shot up. Wall Street got a boom out of that. United Technologies is also a defense company who has received billions of dollars in tax breaks and tax subsidies and trainings and whatnot. And I think one of the things that Hillary said that no one else has said is in those cases we had to claw that money back. So I think that uh, whichever one of our candidates wins, they're going to be 10 times better, 100 times better than any Republican. And every one of those Republicans have got a tremendous tie-in to Wall Street, including Donald Trump. Donald Trump has a tremendous relationship with Wall Street banks who have lent him money to do his purchasing, to do his flip, flipping his businesses. He's had a tremendous close relationship with Wall Street banks. And when he says he's doing this all with his own money, any money that he's got, he's got because of his relationship with the banks. And there's a, there's a great article that was written about the years that Donald, Donald Trump lost his mind about all the bankruptcies he went through and all the support he got from the banks. And one of the things he said, is if the banks, if you owe the banks money, a lot, a lot of, or a little bit of money, they got you by the throat. If you owe them a lot of money, you have them by the throat. So he's he's used the bank system at his advantage, and he certainly is not uh, going to be one of our friends. And the other three have ghost ties to Wall Street. In fact, Governor Kasich was the vice chairman of Lehman Brothers when it tanked, and somehow nobody's talking about Lehman Brothers, and they tanked and almost brought down the global economy. He was vice chairman. So is is, is uh, either one of our candidates perfect? But I'll tell you what, both of them are better than any Republican. No, absolutely. I want to talk about one of many of your great pieces. We're going to talk about a few of those uh, in the remaining time here in the hour. The first, as I mentioned, when a coin drops in Asia, jobs disappear in Detroit. I want you to talk to us about Michigan's 11th congressional district. That's the district located between Detroit and Flint, in which so many uh, you know, jobs uh, were lost, dreams were crushed, as you write, and right. manufacturing was killed. And you, in your piece, are you know, you don't tiptoe or dance around it, Leo. You say manipulation of money is what killed those jobs. Yeah, look at here. Here's uh, one of the things uh, we have an accumulated. Look at, let me back up. A trade deficit is a wealth transfer. So when we have a trade deficit of seven hundred, eight hundred billion dollars on an annual basis. Those are wealth transfers that we're transferring wealth to other countries, and because there's a deficit, we have to pay off that deficit in cash or in some other form. Our trade deficit with China is 365 to 375 billion dollars a year. That means a billion, roughly a billion dollars a day of uh, of trade deficit with China. Well, well, they will use that trade deficit, and they'll come back and buy U.S. Treasury bills. And they'll use a ton of their money, billions and billions of dollars of their money, which used to be our money, to buy Treasury bills. And what they'll do with that is they'll drive up our dollar. While they drive up our dollar, they'll devalue their currency. You know, they think the, the public's not dumb. The public's figured this out. They'll, they'll, they'll then devalue their currency. So our, our exports become more expensive, harder to get into their market, even if we could get into their market. And, and their imports into our country get cheaper. Well, when that happens... The corridor between Detroit and Flint, which was an industrial corridor, auto parts, auto assembly, 
secondary industry that fed those two industries, it got wiped out. It just simply got wiped out. And so then you go back and you say, well, where's the fastest growing, where's the, of the TPP countries, which two have the fastest growing economy? You know what they are? Vietnam, that's had a 30% growth in economic development in the last year in anticipation of the TPP, and Mexico. Mexico now produces more cars than Michigan. Okay, fastest growing car assembly and car operation. And and so then what are they going to do? The auto parts companies are going to start moving closer to Mexico or in Mexico. The Chinese have said they're going to get $100 billion worth of auto parts into the North American market by the end of 2017. That'll decimate our market. And so what will happen is car parts, assembly parts, rules of origin won't apply. They'll come from all around the world. They'll come into Mexico get put into a vehicle, the vehicle will be assembled, and it'll be shipped from Mexico duty-free. Uh, and so they'll, they'll slowly over time decimate, and not in, not in a short period of time, within 10 years, they'll decimate our auto and auto parts industry if the TPP passes. So when I say if a coin drops in Asia, jobs disappear in Detroit, that's what it does. I want to speak uh, more to what, uh, Americans can do. We have an election coming up that isn't just about the presidency, but it's about congressional seats uh, in the House, seats in the Senate. And right now we know there's a Republican majority in both. Numbers-wise, don't look good for Democrats regaining control of the House, but that is within reach in the Senate. Can you speak to our voters, Leo, about what they need to do and their responsibility, not only as voters, but also as consumers, because those things play into this as well. Well, look, there's, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's time that we got rid of the Republican majorities in the state houses. It's time that we got rid of the Republican majority in the Congress because the Republican majority, look at, we see what's going on in the presidential campaign. That's a result of what the Republican majority have done in the Senate and in the House. They've stopped every bill that would create jobs. They've stopped every bill that would improve the life of working families. They've stopped every bill that would make future in- improvements in our infrastructure stopped. They even, they even want to stop getting appointments to the federal bench. They want to stop appointments to the Supreme Court. They're the party of no, and they're the party that is, in fact, dismantling the middle class step by step. When you look at what happened with Fast Track, 28 Democrats voted wrong, and we won't forget them. But every Republican voted wrong, every Republican. So that this, this would have passed and, and uh, decimated our jobs. So what we need to do is we got to go back and understand, look at over the last 75 years, which party has stood for working families. Maybe they haven't stood strong enough, maybe they haven't pushed hard enough, but they certainly haven't gone out to hurt us the way the Republican equipment, Republican campaign has, both at the state level and the federal level. What workers need to do is take, take stock of what's happened to them, take stock of who did it to them, and then go and vote in your own interest. Vote against anybody who's for these rotten trade deals. Vote against anybody who's stopped the jobs bill. Vote against anybody who's not supported the growth of our infrastructure. We've got roads and bridges that are falling down. We've got, you know, you fly into some airports, and it's like the third world. You go into Washington National Airport. When I fly from Pittsburgh, i got to get on a damn bus. Like, there's no place to park the plane, so they put us on a bus, and we stand around in the bus until they find a place to park the bus. In the nation's capital, that's the best we can offer. I mean, so I think that the best advice I can give workers is vote in your own interest and find out who's standing for you. 
when, when, they, when they talk about limited government, rich people don't need government. Rich people can go to their own schools, they fly their own planes, they live their own life. Working people need good schools. Working people need a good infrastructure. Working people need the ability to raise their kids without having a shitload of debt, excuse the language. And uh, kids are coming out of university with more debt than, than families have. So who's standing up for those things? You don't hear any of that discussion going on in the Republican Party. They throw us under the bus in a heartbeat. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more with regard to American manufacturing and and how it's being murdered and who's doing the murdering. We're going to talk about who's to blame. Donald Trump wants you to blame Mexicans or, you know, for your jobs and maybe even Muslims or African-Americans, you know, anybody but really who is in charge of those jobs being lost. By the way, he's one of those in charge of jobs being lost. We'll be back after this with President Leo Girard, President of the United Steelworkers, Vice President of the AFL-CIO. Follow him on Twitter, at USW Blogger. And the website for USW, United Steelworkers, is USW.org. Check it out during the break. When we come back, last segment with Leo, you have a question, call us, 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Who do you blame for not enough jobs? Who do you blame for erosion of the middle class. Who do you blame for manufacturing being murdered in America, as President Gerard says? 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Back after this, follow me on Twitter at Leslie Marshall for your tweets. We'll incorporate them. Don't go away. Leo Gerard, follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger. And like I said, the website for the USW is USW.org. Another great piece that you wrote entitled, Leo, Murdering American Manufacturing Strictly Business. I want to talk about five fifty-six thousand. Excuse me, fifty-six thousand one hundred and ninety factories that America lost. That is fifteen a day. Of course, you mentioned your piece, United Technologies. You also mentioned in your piece in Philly, Cardone, and Grand Rapids, Dematic. Um, talk to us because you know a lot of people out there listen to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump seems to want to blame illegal immigrants, or quite frankly almost anybody but the people standing at his rallies um, for taking America's jobs. But the reality is that corporations are taking America's jobs, much like Trump has jobs in Mexico and and China, but not to be, you know, not, you know, anti-Trump, you know, I'm a Democrat. And I I just have to say that why is this not being addressed? Um, You know, quite frankly, by the Democrats enough bringing and hitting the point home that, American manufacturing is being murdered by American corporations and CEOs who are making these decisions, not by immigrants coming to this country to take these jobs, because the jobs are, are being sent overseas. Yeah, absolutely. Look at, at um, again, we got to go. We got to go way back to at least the, before NAFTA. We were sold a bill of goods on NAFTA, and one of the bills of goods we were sold is that by passing NAFTA, we'd reduce the import of undocumented immigrants. Well, the fact is that one of the first things that happened after NAFTA is that the American agribusiness killed the Mexican family farms. And they did that very deliberately. And so what they did was they drove people off the farms to the northern border, where where then we were having the exodus of factories and, and name brand factories like GE, Ford, GM, United Technologies, you go through all the name brand companies, they all, hundreds of them, if not thousands, set up shop on the, the Mexican border for the whole length of the Mexican border. People heard the term maquila zone. 
the maquilas where they went in and established these plants, and they had workers working at those days for $2 a day. And I've gone to the maquilas zone, and I've seen people lived literally in, in cardboard shacks made of uh, broken-down uh, 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 pallets, where they would get the pallet, and they'd get these huge shipping boxes, and they'd uh, sell them to the workers for 50 cents each. Workers took them to build homes, I mean, literally. And, and so we ended up with that, that exodus of jobs to that. Then we did what they call the per permanent normalized trade relations with China. And we let China into WTO under a whole bunch of promises, and they broke every promise. And then we ended up pretending that we could get access to the Chinese market. And uh, so the companies were moving to China under the guise of getting into the Chinese market. Well, they never got into the Chinese market because China wouldn't let them into the market. What they did was they took their intellectual property, they took other stuff, and they started manufacturing in China and shipping it back to America. And so the, the deindustrialization of America wasn't created by workers. It wasn't because workers were getting paid too much. It wasn't because workers were having decent pensions and some health care. The reason that it was got destroyed is because they could move to China or move to Mexico, or move to North Korea, or move now to Vietnam, move now to Malaysia, move now to Brunei, where workers would be paid a pittance, and they could maximize their profits. And not only that, they could take their profits that they made offshore and put them in some uh, sort of, you know, the Cayman Islands or some non-taxable entity. And, and if you collect all that, the, the exodus of jobs and the profits that have been shipped offshore as well as the jobs it amounts into the trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars of tax avoidance by Canadian and American, North American companies, and in particular in the United States, literally billions of dollars in CEO compensation has been hidden in uh, tax-free zones, and, and America has done nothing about it. So the, the loss of industrial manufacture isn't the problem of Mexican workers, isn't the problem of, of Muslims, it isn't the problem of workers of any religious stripe, it isn't the problem of religion, of workers of any color, it isn't responsible from workers of any sex, male or female, but it is responsible of Wall Street and CEO banks who have gone to maximize their return. And let me say this as well, of profits that were generated in America, 90% of those profits, think about that, 90% of those profits have been spent in share buybacks, and, and a share buyback means that You'll take the money that was generated and the profit that was made, and you'll buy back your own stock, drive up the price, drive up the value of your stock. And who benefits from that? Not the workers, not investing back in technology. The beneficiary of that is the people who live on the value of the stock, CEOs and top corporate executives. So they'll say, well, our salary is only $2 million a year. Yeah, but you got $8 million in stock. And how did that get to be $8 million? You, brought back, you bought back your shares and drove up the value of your own stock. I mean, it should not be criminal. It's so obvious. It's so obvious the currency manipulation to the advantage of a limited number of individuals. That's why you can say that 90% of the profits that have been generated have gone to the top 1%. Now, tomorrow we have, uh, you know, big election, big states. Ohio's one of them. You have talked about uh, here today 
and other times, Senator Sanders and Donald Trump and the messages that they bring with regard um, to manufacturing, oh, to, tra- to bad trade deals, uh, to the voters, and it's resonating. But there is also a relentless avalanche of underpriced Chinese steel. And that's shoving workers in Ohio on the street. You have another great piece entitled, When Too Much is Terrible. Very briefly, less than 60 seconds. Talk to us about that, President well, Gerard. What we've got is we've got domestic overcapacity in every commodity in China. Steel, aluminum, paper, glass, rubber, tire. There's domestic overcapacity. And the Chinese, rather than lay off their own people, rather than cut back their production, what they're doing is they're using that overcapacity to depress our markets in every commodity, and they know that once we get to that point and we have to file trade cases, they got anywhere from a year to 18 months before there's a remedy, and they'll flood our market continuously, depress our prices, put our people out of work, and then once we succeed in the trade case, they'll sit back and wait till the remedy expires and they'll do it again. President Gerard, always a pleasure. Time just flies when we're having fun and learning from you here on the only True Democracy and Talk Radio. Thank you, Leo. President Leo Gerard, international president of the United Steel Workers Union, the USW, their website, USW.org. Follow him on Twitter at USW Blogger.